There's a tendency in our lives to put ourselves in prison. Oh, other people can do it too. We can be treated very badly. Bad things can happen to us that we have nothing to do with other than we're the object of someone else's anger, upsetness, or foolishness. But so much of our prison time is our own cause. Things that we have done, potholes we have fallen into, decisions that we have made. And we read in the scripture in Proverbs 6, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And so in week one, we looked at haughty eyes. Basically, people looking down upon others, people who are full of themselves and either so full of themselves that everyone else is lower or they work hard at making everyone else seem lower so they'll be higher. It's a prison that gets put on us and that we put on ourselves. And we learn the importance of humility, which is what God longs to bring to our lives. In the second week, we looked at the lying tongue, which God also detests, and we looked at gossip. Diane taught us about gossip that week. She told us that was the tough one. It's probably the most insidious one. It's the one that affects all of us. And there's a call of our God to be people of integrity. And then last week, I told you a dream sequence, a story in my life that was true, but it was a dream. And we looked at hands that shed innocent blood, murder. But then we looked at what Jesus taught. And he taught about all kinds of things that are natural to our lives, but they're all negative, that are just like murder. They are the slippery slope that leads to murder, the dismissal of people, the throwing of people away, the basically neglecting them as they're right in our midst. And so we looked at shedding innocent blood. Today we have a different story to tell. And I'd like to go back to the middle and have a seat again. You're all sitting, so I think it's only right that I sit as well. This morning we look at one of the things that God hates things that are detestable to him, a heart that devises wicked schemes and feet that are quick to rush to evil. Now, all of us probably at the beginning would say, I never have done anything like that at all. Those are horrible things. They are. But you know what it really is? It's selfishness, self-centeredness. What kind of world do we live in? We live in an I world. And what's the most popular picture to take today? Selfies. Where do they go? Who do we show them to? And the bigger question, why? (laughs) Now that's an old man talking, I know. (laughs) But I don't tend to broadcast pictures of myself, and most people I know are very glad about that. And that will continue to be my practice. But let me begin. I remember well the day I received the salvation of God in my life. I was overwhelmed with a sense of incredible joy and peace that had come over me. God loved me. Jesus proved it. And the Holy Spirit made it both personal and real in my life. 
My life was given new meaning. My thoughts and plans for what I would do with my life began to completely change. How I responded to my parents, my friends, my siblings, my enemies was radically transformed. And I wanted more. I wanted to know not only God's plan for me, I wanted to know God. I wanted to experience God and more of God because I knew at that very beginning stage, I was just getting a taste, just an appetizer, appetizer, just a nibble of who God really was. And now all these years later, there's more to devour of God. In the Gospels, we read about the work of God through his son, Jesus the work that makes salvation possible, the work that changes lives and has now for centuries. And following the Gospels, we have the book of Acts. It is what happens to the people who believe and become followers of Jesus. Early in that book, on one day alone, there's a profound account of 3,000 people who listened to the Apostle Peter and become believers and followers of Jesus. The remainder of the book of Acts is about not only the continual growth of the number of people who believe and follow, but also the ways in which they become a new culture. Not only a culture of faith, but also a practical culture of care for one another. I have a story to read to you from the book of Acts about that culture. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, and what I call the culture of generosity. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were one in heart and mind. That's crucial. They were united in how they felt and how they thought. And consequently, they shared what they had. The early church was a culture of generosity, but things ramp up right away. And God's grace was so powerfully at work with them all that there were no needy persons among them. God's grace was working and making them graceful. Consequently, no needy people. The early church had a culture of generosity, but it ramps up again as we continue. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it in the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Some who owned, sold, and consequently had the resources distributed to those who were in need. The early church had a culture of generosity. That was what showed in the world as this new church, this new group of people following Jesus lived their lives. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that church? How exciting it must have been. How energizing when they gathered for worship and all these new people who were being cared for so well also joined them. And the numbers grew exponentially. 
They were united with God's heart and mind. They were working together to care for one another. And a clear understanding and practice of what God wants in the church was being done by them in the name of Jesus. But there's an enemy at work in our world. An enemy who works to seek to thwart God's plan and cause God's people to fall and fail. We read about it all the time. It's in the news every day. It's tragic because there's an enemy at work in our midst. Listen to what happens in Acts 5, beginning with verse 1, as the culture of generosity experiences a failure. This is a long listen. Hang on. I'm just going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen. So you get one learning valve to learn from. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So far, everything's fine. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And was it after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. You see, he had said he was giving the full amount. And he didn't. There was nothing wrong with that, not giving the full amount. What was wrong was what he lied about it. He was being deceitful. He was being selfish, but wanted to appear as generous. Listen to this. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Wow. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. In the Hebrew culture, you don't stay dead and not buried for long. It's within 24 hours for the Orthodox Jews. Sooner if possible. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. The end of the reading, the end of the story. They clearly departed from the Spirit of God. Imagine if every time you told a lie, you died. It would just take one time, wouldn't it? At least that's what we think. But doesn't part of us die every time we say an untruth? Doesn't a bit of us go to the grave? Doesn't a bit of us disappear? And then we do it again, and we do it again. Which is why when the prison has a death row, and they say, dead man walking, he's already, she's already dead. 
because of the behaviors they have lived out. We die every time we try to deceive people, every time we deceive the Lord, and he doesn't miss a thing. Not that God is looking down at us and going, okay, Craig, that was that. Oh, and that was that. God doesn't do that way, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But God doesn't miss a thing. And we were made to die when we lie. Ananias and Sapphira just got the ultimate physical death. And fear gripped the early church because of the selfishness of Ananias and Sapphira. But things change, and there's another story to tell. Because God, when he comes into a life, transforms a life. And the selfie becomes a life of service. And I love the depiction that our creative design team has put up here because it's not just a service to other people. It's a service to all creation. It's a service to our world. And here we have this beautiful umbrella protecting this little animal as someone is serving that bit of God's creation in that moment. So I want to tell you another story. It follows in the midst of the story we've just read. As the culture of generosity is fully lived out in a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is this side of the story. In contrast with Ananias and Sapphira, who dismissed the generous culture of God in the early church, and whose hearts were devising wicked schemes, and whose feet were quick to run to evil, we find Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, we read, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. No deception in Barnabas whatsoever. He didn't have to do that. He could have kept part for himself, but he probably would have told them the truth. But he didn't keep any of it for himself. He decided to give it all away. He fully participated in the culture of generosity financially. But there's a whole lot more. Saul, who despised the early church, was converted to Jesus while on a mission of persecution in Damascus. Listen to what happened in Acts 9, 26 and 27. When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Remember, he's been converted. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is the one who connected Saul, Paul, with the disciples, Peter, John, Andrew, and the others. Barnabas lived a generous life relationally. He fully participated in this culture of generosity in the early church. But there's more. News was spreading of a revival going on in Antioch. It was among the Greeks. Greeks, Obviously, these were Gentiles. And at that point, the church was largely Jewish because Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. Listen to what happened in Acts 11. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. 
the revival in Antioch. And they sent, who else? Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas was highly respected in the early church because of his integrity and his generosity. He lived a generous life spiritually. He fully participated in the culture of generosity. But there's more. Listen to what happened in Acts 13. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, quote, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. End of quote. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas was willing to share God's news. He lived a generous life proclamationally. That's a new word. Note it. It'll come out one of these days in the dictionary. Barnabas fully participated in the culture of generosity of the early church. But there's more. Listen to what happens in Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers and the grace of the Lord. Barnabas, the one who was first to forgive Saul, now forgives and includes John Mark. Saul's not ready to do that. But Barnabas lived a generous life of forgiveness. He was quick to forgive. But there's more. This is the last one. Listen to what happens in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, chapter 4. Paul writes, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Barnabas was pivotal in reconciling Paul and John Mark to each other. He lived a generous life of reconciliation. Barnabas was connecting people to each other, connecting people to God, living a life of integrity and generosity in everything he did. That's the culture of generosity of the early church. That's the primo example of cultural generosity in the early church. The contrast of cultures is so clear, is it not? There is a culture in our world of selfishness, crowning ourselves above others. Me first. Selfies. It's called the I world. Then there's the culture of God. 
the culture of genuine, the genuine church of Jesus Christ, the church where Jesus Christ is Lord, not just Messiah, not simply Savior, but Lord, who is to be followed completely, no variation. The culture of the church where Jesus is Lord is a culture of generosity. I conclude with this thought and a story. We are made in the image of God. Why? Because God is generous. Look at creation. How generous has God been in the beauty of our world? The clear sky at night. The variety of living things. And we have animals that worship with us every Sunday. Giraffes and puppy dogs and kitties. I see their outfits on them every week. And they're among us. They're all around us. The beauty of this creation all around us. Both the fun parts that we do with each other. But as you walk out the door into the parking lot, there are critters everywhere. They're scared to death of us, but they're out there. And you can find them if you stop long enough and look. The beauty of God's creation because God is generous. The provisions he makes for us to live. Look at the variety. Look around. Look at each other. Take a chance. Look at each other. What a variety of people. And there's a mother that loves every one of us. There's such a diversity of human beings. God has created great generosity all around us. God is generous in his creation, and he's made us in his likeness. It must be that perhaps generosity is what he's made us to be like. Hold that thought. We are transformed to be like Jesus, and Jesus is generous. Consider your salvation. How generous was it for Jesus to come and to rescue us from our sin? How generous Jesus is to continue to rescue us when we fail and fall. How generous Jesus is to pour out the Holy Spirit in our lives. How generous Jesus is to give us the church as a family of others on whose life he has poured out his generosity as well. Jesus is generous, and we are transformed to become like him. God, in his generous creation, Jesus, in his generous salvation. So now the story. In his book, Run With Horses, Eugene Peterson recalls watching three fledgling young swallows perched on a dead branch that stretches out over a lake. An adult swallow gets alongside them on the branch and starts shoving them toward the end of the branch. Finally, the end one falls off. And somewhere between the branch and the water, which is just four feet below, the wings start to work. And the fledgling was off on his own, flying. The adult swallow continues to push, and number two has the same experience. Number three, however, was not to be bullied. Most families with multiple children have one like this. 
I was that one in my family of origin. At the last possible moment, the grip on the branch loosened just enough for this third fledgling so that he swung downward and then tightened the grip again. He was tenacious. The adult swallow was without sentiment and pecked at the desperately clinging talons until it was more painful for the poor chick to hang on than it was the insecurities of flying. The grip was released, and the inexperienced wings began to flutter. You see, the adult swallow knew what the fledglings did not know, that they could fly. There was no danger in making those chicks do what they were perfectly designed to do. Birds have feet. They can walk. Birds have talons. They can grab branches securely. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. We are created in God's image, transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Generosity is what we are made for. It is the culture into which we are born and born again. It is the behavior that was designed into us before we were born. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. <clears throat> we look so worn out and bedraggled as a result. As we hang on to the dead branch of a bank account, because if you live long enough and you die before I die, I'll be telling the story that you left it all because you did. We hang on to the dead branch of being unforgiving. We hang on to the dead branch of being unaccepting. We hang on to the dead branch of being unwilling to trust the God who created us and his son who redeems us. We are afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of generosity. It's tragic. But the sooner we start and let go to what God has created us to be, the better it will be. Here's the truth. <clears throat> We're all going to have to give up our lives finally. The longer we wait, the less time we have for soaring and swooping and enjoying the life of generosity God made us for and made us to be a part of. I pray today we will learn from Barnabas and from an adult swallow and mostly from Jesus who blazed the trail of generosity. It's from them that we learn how to truly live. My question in closing is this. Are you truly living, really? Are you swooping and soaring with a life of generosity whether it's financial, forgiveness, reconciliation, connecting, fellowship, you name it, it's meant to be lived generously with one another and with our world. It's only as the church becomes generous in every way that the effectiveness of the church to bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ will happen. 
So let's stop the selfie stuff and start being a people of generosity because that's the Jesus we follow. That's the God who made us so that we can win the world to them. Let us pray. Lord, help us to trust you fully, to soar and swoop the life of generous grace that you give us, and that you help us to live out each day of our redeemed life. May what we have heard this morning become confirmed in us, whether for the first time or for the hundredth, so that you are honored through us and your kingdom culture of generosity will be seen and people will be drawn to you and to your church in the name of Jesus who makes it possible for us to do this at all. Amen.